0: This is John DeFalb from John Sando's Bookshop in Chelsea, London. As a small diversion from the anxieties and demands of coronavirus, I'm going to read three extracts from Leave It to Smith by P.G. Woodhouse, a great comic dynamo tonic for our times. Chapter 1. Dark Plottings at Blanding's Castle At the open window of the great library of Blanding's Castle, drooping like a wet sock as was his habit when he had nothing to prop his spine against, the Earl of Emsworth, that amiable and boneheaded peer, stood gazing out over his domain. It was a lovely morning, and the air was fragrant with gentle summer scents. Yet in his lordship's pale blue eyes there was a look of melancholy. His brow was furrowed, his mouth peevish. And this was all the more strange in that he was normally as happy as only a fluffy-minded man with excellent health and a large income can be. A writer describing Blanding's castle in a magazine article had once said, Tiny mosses have grown in the cavities of the stones until viewed near at hand the place seems shaggy with vegetation. It would not have been a bad description of the proprietor. Fifty odd years of serene and unruffled placidity had given Lord Emsworth a curiously moss-covered look. Very few things had the power to disturb him. Even his younger son, the Hon. Freddy Threpwood, could only do it occasionally. Yet now he was sad. And not to make a mystery of it any longer, the reason of his sorrow was the fact that he had mislaid his glasses and without them was as blind to use his own neat simile as a bat. He was keenly aware of the sunshine that poured down on his gardens and was yearning to pop out and potter among the flowers he loved. But no man, pop he never so wisely, can hope to potter with any good result if the world is a mere blur the door behind him opened and Beech the butler entered a dignified procession of one who is that? inquired Lord Emsworth spinning on his axis it is I your lordship Beech have you found them? Not yet, your lordship, sighed the butler. You can't have looked. I have searched assiduously, your lordship, but without avail. Thomas and Charles also announce non success. Stokes has not yet made his report. Ah I am redispatching Thomas and Charles to your lordship's bedroom said the master of the hunt. I trust that their efforts will be rewarded. Beach withdrew, and Lord Emsworth turned to the window again. The scene that spread itself beneath him, though he was unfortunately not able to see it, was a singularly beautiful one, for the castle, which is one of the oldest inhabited houses in England, stands upon a knoll of rising ground at the southern end of the celebrated Vale of Blandings, in the county of Shropshire. Away in the blue distance, wooded hills ran down to where the severn gleamed like an unsheathed sword. While up from the river, rolling parkland, mounting and dipping, surged in a green wave almost to the castle walls, breaking on the terraces in a many-coloured flurry of flowers as it reached the spot where the province of Angus MacAllister, his lordship's head gardener, began. The day being June the 30th, which is the very high tide time of summer flowers, the immediate neighbourhood of the castle was ablaze with roses, pinks, pansies, carnations, hollyhocks, columbines, larkspurs, London Pride, Canterbury Bells, and a multitude of other choice blooms of which only Angus could have told you the names. A conscientious man was Angus, and in spite of being a good deal hampered by Lord Emsworth's amateur assistants, he showed excellent results in his department. In his beds, there was much at which to point with pride, little to view with concern. Scarcely had Beech removed himself when Lord Emsworth was called upon to turn again. The door had opened for the second time, and a young man in a beautifully cut suit of grey flannel was standing in the doorway. He had a long and vacant face, topped by shining hair brushed back and heavily brilliantined after the prevailing mode, and he was standing on one leg. For Freddy Threpwood was seldom completely at his ease in his parents' presence. Hello, Governor Well, Frederick It would be paltering with the truth to say that Lord Emsworth's greeting was a warm one. It lacked the note of true affection. A few weeks before, he had had to pay a matter of five hundred pounds to settle certain racing debts for his offspring. And while this had not actually dealt an irretrievable blow at his bank account, it had undeniably tended to diminish Freddy's charm in his eyes. You've lost your glasses, Governor. That is so. Nuisance, what? Undeniably. Ought to have a spare pair. I have broken my spare pair. Oh, tough luck! Lost the other, and as you say, lost the other. Have you looked for the belly things? I have. It must be somewhere. I mean. Quite possibly. Where, asked Freddy, warming to his work, did you see the blast? <gasps> go away, said Lord Emsworth, on whom his child's conversation had begun to exercise an oppressive effect. Eh? Go away. Go away? Yes, go away. right ho. The door closed. His lordship, returned to the window once more. He had been standing there some few minutes when one of those miracles occurred which happened in libraries. Without sound or warning, a section of books started to move away from the parent body and, swinging out in a solid chunk into the room, showed a glimpse of a small study-like apartment. A young man in spectacles came noiselessly through, and the books returned to their place. The contrast between Lord Emsworth and the newcomer as they stood there was striking, almost dramatic. Lord Emsworth was so acutely spectacleless, Rupert Baxter, his secretary, so pronouncedly spectacled. It was his spectacles that struck you first as you saw the man. They gleamed. Efficiently at you. If you had a guilty conscience, they pierced you through and through. And even if your conscience was 100% pure, you could not ignore them. Here, you said to yourself, is an efficient young man in spectacles. In describing Rupert Baxter as efficient, you did not overestimate him. He was essentially that. Technically, but a salaried subordinate, he had become by degrees owing to the limp amiability of his employer, the real master of the house. He was the brains of Blandings, the man at the switch, the person in charge, and the pilot, so to speak, who weathered the storm. Lord Emsworth left everything to Baxter, only asking to be allowed to potter in peace, and Baxter, more than equal to the task, shouldered it without wincing. Having got within range, Baxter coughed, and Lord Emsworth, recognising the sound, wheeled round with a faint flicker of hope. It might be that even this apparently insoluble problem of the missing pince Would yield before the other's efficiency. "'Baxter, my dear fellow, I've lost my glasses. "'My glasses, I have mislaid them. "'I cannot think where they have gone to. "'You haven't seen them anywhere, by any chance?' "'Yes, Lord Emsworth,' replied the secretary, "'quietly equal to the crisis.' They are hanging down your back. Down my back? Oh, I bless my soul. His lordship tested the statement and found it, like all Baxter's statesmen, accurate. Why, bless my soul, so they are. Do you know, Baxter, I really believe I must be growing absent-minded. He hauled in the slack, secured the pince-nez, adjusted them beamingly. His irritability had vanished like the dew of one of his roses. Thank you, Baxter, thank you. You are invaluable.